Hello and welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. Folks, plenty to get to this week. The golf ball is being rolled back at an elite level. Jordan Spieth comes close yet again in Tampa in the match play. RIP WGCs and RIP Austin Country Club, which is hosting the match play for the final time. Rex, you are in Austin. We'll certainly be getting to your barbecue choices here uh, at the end of the podcast. But first, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. What's the buzz like for yet another designated event on the PGA uh-huh. schedule? It, it is a designated event, but maybe that's the buzz is that it's going away, that it's RIP, as you pointed out. I, I, it's been a long time since I wrote an official obit, so I, I had to do some refreshing this morning when I sat down to write this obit. It's, it's weird because I think everyone understands technically, I, I'm contractually obligated to say this, technically this is not the last WGC. That, that Apparently the PGA Tour still has a contract with HSBC champions, but they haven't been to China since 2019. It doesn't seem like we're going back anytime soon so it does seem like the end of an era but i and it's interesting talking with players trying to find out why i mean we can get into it more later but it's like fascinating to see how they've sort of evolved i just did a hit on golf today about the idea that when they started in 99 they served a very real purpose and what was the purpose well one they answered the threat of a rival tour two they wanted to get the top players together more often three they wanted bigger purses (laughs) any of that sound familiar any of it yes and the, the only difference now, Rex, is that the designated events are stronger. You don't have these order of merit, top three, top five lists from these far-flung tours with the internet. I believe it's called the international tours, whatever that had some sort of qualification criteria to get into the WGC. So the designated events are certainly uh, stronger at the PGA Tour level. We will get into this. And, folks, you can check out uh, Rex's column on GolfChannel.com. One of the big stories that we've had over the past week, it's something we did not actually get into on the pod last week because I was drinking $4 Imperial beers uh, in Costa Rica, is, Rex, this rollback that was introduced uh, via a model local rule by the governing bodies, the USJ and the RNA, to be implemented, if adopted, in 2026 at the elite level. Now, this golf ball rollback uh, would essentially dial back distance for the longest hitters somewhere between – 15 and 20 yards This is the first time you've been back out on tour since uh, this uh, perspective rule change was announced. What are the players saying about it? And what are your feelings? Most importantly, if I could just throw up that emoji of the, of the little yellow man rolling his eyes, that, that seems to be what the players are saying about it, because I think it, it in most players minds, and it's amazing how many players that I hadn't heard from them a long time texted me last week, just indignant. It's angry that they can't believe this is happening. And I, I guess I get it. It's not as though the USGA and the RNA just threw this out there. I mean, we, we've been trending towards this for a long time. I think most of us inside the game at least knew this was coming. I, I think the interesting thing, and look, I, I think the dynamic between the PGA Tour and the USGA and the RNA, I don't know, let's call it, lack of a better term, ecosystem. You know I mean, it seems to me that that's, that's probably what I should call it. In this particular context, where we are in the state of the game right now, I'm sure the PGA Tour is going to be inclined just to play ball. Like, okay, fine. Like, do what you want to the golf ball, and we're just going to keep forging forward because of all the other things we have to deal with right now. (laughs) Had this happened five years ago, I wonder if it would have been so congenial. Because my guess is most tour players, every tour player I've spoken to, doesn't like it, doesn't see the problem. This is a problem that the USGA and the RNA, in their opinion, has manufactured. And if your golf course isn't long enough, for the modern player, for the modern PGA Tour ball, for the modern PGA Tour athlete, 
then you're just not going to host a, a tour event anymore. I mean, I think that's the general idea that no one's saying that the game is too easy. I think actually if you start breaking down some of the stuff that Mark Brody has done with Strokes Gain, that you can make an argument that it's actually harder than it has been in decades past. I think the part that players just are having... testing around, different skills. I think and they're having, a, certain, a certain part of the game is being reduced skill-wise. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not disagreeing with that, but I don't think... Like, for you and I, this is not an issue, to be clear. Like, you and I don't find the game too easy. I don't hit the golf ball too far. I, I'm not giving this up for something that I find <laughs> more challenging. And I think from the tour perspective, it's about entertainment, is it not? Like I said, I think the tour is going to have to eat this one. They're just going to have to take this one and move on because of where we are. I don't know. Again, lack of a better term, I'll call it an ecosystem because I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. But they're going to have to eat this one. But they're an entertainment product. And I'm sure that they don't like the idea that someone is missing with their entertainment. So there's so many things to get to, Rex. Like last week, they, they trotted out Justin Thomas and Sam Burns. And obviously, they were very, uh, I would call them vehemently against the proposed rollback. And like, it's hard to take the tour players' words seriously on this matter because they're paid handsomely by the equipment companies to endorse these products. So I always take their comments with a little bit of a grain of salt. The one thing that my mind keeps going back to, Rex, and I kind of fleshed this out uh, on Monday Scramble that you guys can check out on GolfChannel.com, is that for the PGA Tour at the executive level, they cannot really ignore the model local rule. Like, it, 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 that doesn't appear to be a feasible option because if you actually work this thing out, all right, so beginning in 2026, both Opens, the British Open and the U.S. Open, excuse me, the Open Championship, we'll be using this rollback ball. Uh, I think Fine. we'll know more about the Masters and Chairman Fred Ridley's plans in a couple of weeks' time during the State of the Masters address that he gives every single year on Wednesday. I think it's, it's likely, if not probable, based on the course changes that Augusta has made over the past year, couple of years to combat distance, that they would be in favor of a rollback as well. That puts the PGA uh, Championship and the PGA of America executives, uh, it, it kind of has them... Uh, by the neck as well, because they need to play ball with the other three majors. And so you then have a situation, Rex, where the four biggest, most consequential tournaments of the year would, in theory, possibly be playing by a different set of rules in the weekly competition on the PJ Tour. That puts the PJ Tour in a bind, because you cannot really allow a different ball to be played than the four different, than the four biggest tournaments of the year. That only widens the perception gap between the majors and the PG Tour events, when the PG Tour is doing everything right, you just mentioned the entertainment product, getting the, the best players together more often, to close that gap, not widen it. And so if the PG Tour's tagline is that the best golf is being played here, right? that's like their new tagline that you see in commercials all the time, it's hard to make that argument if you're playing by a different set of rules than the tournaments that are actually defining these players legacy that was like the main thing that i had in mind like that i don't think the tour really has an option to not go along with this set of rules like players are so particular with their equipment choices they can decipher even the, the tiniest uh, changes in ball composition like they're not going to be tinkering throughout the year swapping uh back and forth throughout the course of the year that's just not going to happen that's not that's not realistic and, and, no, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I was kind of leaning into the idea that wait, why were there four dollar Imperials? weren't you at weren't you in? Yes, Costa I was at Rica? a very nice. I was at like a boutique Marriott, and I saw on the menu four dollars. I actually thought it was a misprint. Uh, I'm used to that paying like really nine, ten, spending. 
like nine ten dollars on a beer uh, at these hotels that my wife picks up. But four dollars, it was like, it was like I couldn't I couldn't have enough. That seems expensive, actually, for Costa Rica. I mean, I've been to, to I was resorts. Sho- like I was that. shocked. Yeah. I was so I was so happy. And, and it was, it was and like an all-inclusive to... option for three hundred dollars a day. I was like, no, why would I need that? I got four dollar beers. I'm not, I'm not buying $300 worth of Imperials. No, that's not going to happen. And, and for someone who hates the sun and the sand and the beach, it, it, it was a magical week, I can tell. Sun shirts, came back. Sun shirts yeah. straw hats, uh, <laughs> SPF 85, which I'd never even heard of. Uh, fantastic. Great time. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, no, I think for the reasons you point out, you're right. The, the tour is going to have to play ball. I was sort of having fun and leaning into the idea that the tour kind of needs the other people in the e- ecosystem to be with them right now. That would be the USGA. That would be the RNA, certainly the PG of America. It's not a fight. They, they don't need another fight. They don't need a, another lawsuit. They don't, need to, they don't need more headlines going against them. So, yes, for all of those reasons, the tour will end up just essentially folding and, and using this ball, and the players won't be happy about it, and the product will probably suffer on some level. But I, I think they don't have a choice given where we are at the state of the game right now. I think the larger question in my mind is, because we're in that process right now, and this felt a lot like Tuesday at the Players' Championship, that players were essentially told on Tuesday at the Players' Championship what the schedule next year on the PGA Tour was going to look like. They, they were told to walk into this room and listen, you're not here to vote. And I feel like that the, the sense on tour right now is you're just supposed to listen right now. This isn't a vote. You don't get a choice here. This is what we're going to do. That's probably the hardest part for most players to take. Uh, I would agree with that. I certainly understand that viewpoint and it's actually not that hard Rex for me, for me to see a reality where the PGA tour follows the governing bodies and goes the traditionalist route, but live golf says, Oh yeah, we can, you can use the fastball in competition. We want to see big drives. We want to, we want to kind of throw this anti-establishment vibe out at the folks. Like I could see, I could see the divide going that way and like live leading into the fact that they're just, these rebels who are revolutionizing golf. Oh, and you and I both know that's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be, if you want to come out and watch a truly entertaining product here, we're, we're going to hit the cover off the ball and we're going to have fun doing it. And we're, we're going to make a mockery of it because that, that's what they can do in this particular situation. It, it's only going to be bad for the PGA tour. But again, I don't know that they have any options, let alone a bad option. So that was the story early week last week in Tampa. And by Sunday, the story became Taylor Moore basically coming from nowhere. He was the, he was the player no one saw coming at the Valspar Championship, barely shown on TV. And then he was the one who was hoisting the trophy. All attention was paid to Adam Shank. Pride of Nocatee stand-up, knock life. Uh, you had Jordan Spieth obviously doing his thing. And Tommy Fleetwood trying to win for the first time in the U.S. My mind immediately went to Jordan Spieth. For the third week in a row, he had a top 20 finish on the PGA Tour Rex. And for the second time in three weeks, at least, he had an opportunity to win the golf tournament, and he was unable to do so. At Bay Hill, remember, four consecutive misses on the back nine inside eight feet. This one was just kind of a shocking miss. I mean, he was in the water by 50 yards uh, on the 16th hole. Actually made a great bogey and then did not make a six-foot birdie putt on the 71st hole. Where's your... uh, I don't know if it's concern level. Where's your optimism level, your concern level when it comes to Jordan Spieth uh, now just two weeks away uh, before heading to Augusta National. It's interesting. Every time we're around Jordan, he, he the honesty comes pouring out, whether if we want to listen to it or not, right? I mean, you go back to... You always want to listen to it. Well, but, but it's just sometimes I feel like we don't 
like we just gloss over the parts when he talks about that I'm not hitting my irons very well or I'm not putting very well, whatever the case may be. And I'll go back to Augusta just a few years ago when it looked like he was on his way to another green jacket. But he had said all week long, I don't feel like I'm hitting my iron solid. And then, of course, he gets to 12 and does what he did at 12. And that, that was an example of, look, man, I just had a miss that week. And that was the miss. I tried to tell you guys. And you did that listen. range session. That range session on Sunday morning or Sunday, I guess, would have been Sunday afternoon. Life will forever be ingrained in my mind. Speed saying these low, these, these high floaters, right? Getting frustrated, pacing around, circling around uh, Cameron McCormick and Michael Grella, like totally, totally having a fit. And I rush back to my keyboard and say, ooh, I, I don't know if this is indicative of anything, but Jordan Spieth not hitting it well in the range, and then he opens up a five-shot lead. Uh, you, I mean, you're used to getting ratioed on social media, but that was really one of my first ones. <laughs> and then, obviously, I had the last laugh, unfortunately, at Jordan Spieth's expense. I will, I will always, always remember that range session. I actually think it's a good journalism lesson, too, wasn't it, Rex? Make sure you're there. Uh, yes, it was a very good journalism lesson, because I will go back to the idea that if we just listen to what he says – that there's always a, a kernel of truth. And in that particular week, we didn't want to listen to him. I don't think we want to listen to him. Recently, when he's talked over the last few weeks, that even though, and I think this was a conversation I had with him at Bay Hill before we went to the Players' Championship, was even though he feels like his putting was coming around, he still isn't very, very confident with his ball striking. I think we saw that on Sunday at the Valspar. And in this particular case, yeah, I think there should be a level of concern for Jordan Spieth. Given his record at Augusta National, I don't know how much – I'm going to factor this into my final decision when you and I sit down on Tuesday or whatever day we do the podcast at Augusta and, and either put him in my top five or not in my top five. But I, I think there are certainly things he needs to clean up before he gets there. Uh, certainly. It, I, would, I would definitely put him in my top five. We put him in the top five during our hit last week uh, on golf today. Obviously, you mentioned the course record. And, like, I think all things considered, the Valspar Championship was encouraging. Like, he gained strokes uh, off the tee with his irons around the green – um, and and around the green as well. It's the first time he'd done that in a very long time. So I do believe he's trending in the right direction. It just seems like Rex, he's not as tidy as he has been in the past. And so we're getting like, like the the thrill ride that he typically takes us on. Like I feel like I feel like it's even more dramatic than usual because he's 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 making plenty of birdies, obviously. But I think the big miss is still there and with the work that he's still doing on the greens and trying to find that comfort level in his address position, like it's not quite there either. It doesn't feel as automatic that he's going to make the must make putt that he has so often in the past. So I think he's obviously a far cry from 2015 or 2017 when he was kind of height of power, uh, but I still think he's plenty dangerous and he should be re- regarded as such when it comes to masters favorites. Any other thoughts on the Valspar leaderboard before we turn our attention to this week. No, and I, I think you and I had this conversation earlier in the Florida Swing. I will attest, and watching Sunday just reinforced that. I do think Innisbrook is the best course of the Florida Swing, and you're going to Agreed. be the Nocatee. You're going to be the Nocatee Homer, and probably say TPC Sawgrass. No, I hate TPC Sawgrass. I I loathe TPC Sawgrass. I thought it inspired you earlier this year when you got to play in Media Day, the invitation that didn't seem to come my way. Uh, Stewart, I'm talking to you. It was better. It was a better playing experience. But from an actual architectural, strategic quality of golf course standpoint, like I don't even think, I don't even think it's close. I think that's why you have such an eclectic leaderboard. I think that's why I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a player in the top ten of the world who actually thinks that TPC Sawgrass is a good golf course. And yet, if you had a let's say a designated event at the Valspar Championship, right? Like if Tracy West gets her wish and has she has a designated event 
uh, at Innisbrook next year, like I think every player would rave about how great of a golf course it is. It's the reason why Justin Thomas played last week, but is not playing this week at Austin Country Club. So he thought doesn't doesn't like this golf course and thought it was a better prep for Augusta National playing last week at the Valspar. And, and the format's dumb. Twenty million. The format this week is dumb. We can all agree on that. It's the last yeah. one. We can all agree. Certainly, Justin Thomas and Justin Rose, by the way, the only players who are not among this, the top sixty-four here this week, along with the Livers, of course, who are not eligible for the match. But let's get into it, Rex. You wrote the column. We tease it at the top end of a WGC haven't yet. era. Have it, haven't yet. I haven't yet. But by the time this gets posted, uh, my God, I hope so. I hope that it is posted. Uh, first of all, when it comes to Austin Country Club, and we touched on this a couple of weeks ago, I'm devastated that this golf course is not going to be hosting this tournament anymore. I think it would be a terrible stroke play venue, but from a match play perspective, like some of these holes are so memorable. There's so many potential swings. There's so much potential trouble. Uh, I have absolutely loved it as a match play venue. You think of the ones that we've gone to in the past, whether it was Harding Park or Dove Mountain or Lacoste before that. Like this is this is a, this is a, a, a thrill ride uh, over four hours. Um, and so, tip of the cap to Austin Country Club. I will miss you, and I will certainly will miss a match play tournament. Uh, on the PGA Tour schedule, which is not going to be the case next year. And, and I will agree with that and echo it. I, I've covered this event at all four of those venues that, that you mentioned, and by far this is the best. And, and I will say, as much as I enjoyed watching Innisbrook, watching uh, Dove Mountain last week, it, which hosted the Live event, actually brought me some trauma. It was a bit of a trigger event because going to the top of that mountain still gives the me snow. Shivers. The snow. The snow, the jumping choya, everything out there is trying to hurt you or sting you or draw blood. It's... It was a, it's a nightmare at the top of that mountain. I'm sure it's a nice golf course. I'm sure people love living up there. Not taking anything away. It's a nightmare of a place. Uh, also, wasn't it at the gallery last week? Uh, it was both, actually. So it was at the Ritz at Dove Mountain, and then the first couple of years it was at the gallery, yeah. Sure, sure. Um, sure, sure. How about this week, Rex? Scotty Scheffler, obviously the top seed coming off the win at the Players' Championship. John Rahm, uh, presumably has stopped uh, projectile vomiting like he was at TBC Sawgrass. Do you have a group of death? Back in the day, like two or three years ago, you and I would have gone through each and every group and picked a winner. But I believe I instructed you to have a, a bracket nearby. Is there anything no, you that did stands out that, but by all on means, Wednesday, let's, let's Thursday, or Friday? You, you actually read the text. I said, have a, bracket, have a bracket handy so we can highlight a few. So please, uh, go ahead and highlight a, a few. Uh, I don't have a bracket handy, but I don't think I need one because I think pretty sure Scotty Scheffler, who is world number one, he's coming off a victory at the Players' Championship, coming off a practice round at Augusta National where he got emotional. I think he cried. Big shock. Again? Uh, I'm pretty, again, yes. Um, I, I, I think I'm going to go with him simply because it, it makes it easier. If I had to oh, pick, wow, you're picking I did, the top. you're picking the top seed to win the tournament. That's right. Because he's won here and finished second here and then end of list. He's only Purdue would like twice. a word. Uh, I, that's silly. Everyone who always tries to do that, that's just silly. Don't, don't, don't go down that road. You know better than that. You know the difference between 1 and 64, which in this case I think it's 1 and 77, if I'm doing the math correctly, based on the guys who aren't here. The, the difference between those two players is minute, especially given an 18-hole match. You know that. Like, don't, don't do that. Like, this isn't Farley, Fairley Dickinson. How about that coach has already moved on to, I, he's already moved on to Iona? Is that true? Yeah, uh, he, he already signed what, literally one day after they lost. I thought it was funny. I was, listening to the, I was listening to the coach for FAU, which I think also made it to the Sweet 16, and they were asking him about his contract. 
And it's, at some point, he had to kind of stop himself because the, the question was, Coach, I'm sure you have a bonus in your contract for reaching the Sweet 16 like every other coach. And he kind of mumbled for a little while and goes, I don't know, I guess, maybe. You think I do? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the ink hadn't even been tried uh, on his new contract. Uh, hopefully he gave uh, those kids a big old hug. I, I'm with you. Look, like Scotty Scheffler is playing at such a high level, obviously the defending champion at this tournament where he became world number one for the very first time, uh, a very strong match play player. Historically, I love, love that day three matchup against Tom Kim. Hopefully, hopefully it actually matters. Just rifling through a couple of these other ones, like Kyle Morikawa, Jason Day is going to be very good. Max Homa, Kevin Kisner would be the match on Thursday. Remember, Kevin Kisner actually finished higher than Max Homa in the PIP standings last year, which is hard to believe. Sam Burns, Adam Scott. Uh, is one that has my attention. And how about on Wednesday? You don't typically get these uh, A player versus D player. I think they still categorize these guys as. But John Rom, Ricky Fowler. Ricky needs a good week this week to get in the Masters field uh, versus John Rom, uh, an absolute killer. Uh, needs to get the quarterfinals. Yeah. So he obviously needs to get through this group, and he'd have to do so against the number two overall seed. Also curious to see how Cameron Young in his first week with Paul Tesori also. Prada Nocatee uh, has him on the bag. Will he perform well? Any player this week that you're particularly circling, not in the non-Sky Shuffler division, as intriguing to you or needs to have a good week, someone you want to spotlight? Uh, Ricky was interesting to me, as you pointed out, because there's so much on the line. He is playing next week, by the way, so he does still has that opportunity in San Antonio. But him trying to make it back to the Masters, he was in the media center earlier today talking about his ball striking wasn't really, 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 he wanted it to be at the players, but he seems like he kind of turned a corner going forward. And then there's some guys that just always seem to play well here. I mean, I would go to Kevin Kisner, who just seems to love this format, loves this golf course. I, I, would, I would lean towards a player like Jason Day, who has won this event in the past, not at this venue. But I think Jason we Day, about one of your top five, fig, top five favorites for the Masters. Again, for that reason, because I simply think he's playing so well right now. He's kind of under the radar. I don't think anybody besides me, thank you very much, is pointing out how well he's playing. So, uh, yeah, there's a couple of players I'm going to keep an eye on. But, again, first three days is stupid. It's a dumb format. I'm gonna uh, say I it. wouldn't go that far. Uh, I'm I enjoy say the it. thing. I enjoy the five days of competition. I think you and I will both miss it, not having a match play tournament on the schedule no, I'll miss that. No, one hundred percent, I'll miss not having the match play tournament. As I re- kind of researched this column that I hope to get done today, that was the one thing that everybody kept coming back to was the idea that they really want a match play tournament. Like they, they feel like there should be something on the schedule. Like a lot of guys brought up what Europe used to do with, I think it was called the World Match Play, and but that was straight match. That was straight knockout. It was. I think they started with thirty-two, and you just went down from there. There's something pure about it. Now I know TV hates it, and I know some fans don't like it because there's always a good chance that your Virginias or your Purdue's aren't going to be around on the weekend, but that's the beauty of match play. Uh, it is the beauty of match play. I've hated this spot on the schedule two weeks before the Masters. It is uh, less than ideal prep, uh, needless to say, for the year's first major. I'd love for them to incorporate it at the Tour Championship, although I'm not as big of a hater of the staggered start format at East Lake as others, but somehow incorporating match play at the end for the top eight seeds or whatever uh, I think would be interesting just to put a bow on this bracket Rex uh, Roy McIlroy there had been some rumblings on social media that he was due to make a massive uh, equipment change Todd Lewis reported nope 
just a driver shaft change, and he's actually gone to a Scotty Cameron putter away from the spider putter Taylor made that he had been using previously over the past couple of years. Whether that registers as gigantic, humongous, earth-shattering equipment news, uh, I don't know, but I do think it is notable nonetheless. If he does get through his group, he's playing Keegan Bradley, Denny McCarthy, and Scott Stallings, he would most likely play Terrell Hatton, which could be a lot of fun. Xander Schauffele, you were my player of the year, and so I need you, honestly, to like, start winning stuff. Uh, in order to make my prediction come true. So Xander Schauffele is my pick this week at the match play. We'll see how that goes. Rex, I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch the live uh, tournament, second tournament of the year play out last week in Arizona. However, there was some social media. I just said I did. Thanks for listening. I I I just said I did. Thanks. Uh, I don't know how much you paid attention to the drama then on social media. Your boy, Lee Westwood, uh, who gets angry about everything on social media, uh, took exception to the theory that live stars are not holding up their end of the bargain. If you've been paying attention this year, the first two tournaments have been won by Charles Howell III and Danny Liu, who was winless on the PGA Tour since 2015, prevailed in a four-man playoff. I kind of ag- agree, Rex. Like, I think especially when you look at the PGA Tour's designated event model, I think it has worked uh, it's been a resounding success to this point. John Rahm has won twice. Scotty Scheffler's won twice. Kurt Kitayama uh, prevailed against a star-studded leaderboard that included Roy McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, and Scotty Scheffler. Like that was great drama. Like the PGA Tour stars are stepping up in those tournaments. When it comes to live, like where's DJ this year? Where's Cam Smith this year? Where's Phil? Where's Bryson? Where's Brooks? Like the whole point of having live was to have short fields that would better the odds that the best players could have uh, like memorable final round clashes. Right. To this point, to this point, what are we 10 tournaments in? It it hasn't happened. No, but I will ask like, why, why do we take an event like the Honda classic? And we point to how great that was on the PGA tour because it gave an opportunity to Chris Kirk and Eric Cole to make a name for themselves on a big stage. And yet when the same thing happens over on live, we, we sort of dismiss the idea. Well, Danny Lee hasn't done anything on the PGA tour since 2015 or whoever else, Charles Howell going back to the last uh, event. I, I think you're right. I certainly, it raises a bigger question in my mind that what version of DJ and Cam Smith and the rest of the players who are qualified for the Masters, what, what version of them are we going to get out of Augusta national? Because it's hard to sort of wrap my mind around the idea that he's going to be at his absolute best when he clearly hasn't played well in the two events that we've seen him in. And you have to question the level of competition only because you're going to look at the world rankings and you're going to look at what Danny Lee has done since 2015. Now there is something to be said there, but I don't know how much I'm really poking right now, at least at the idea that those stars haven't provide, haven't performed. Cause I go back to last season, DJ played pretty well last season for he and his team. I think Cam Smith played pretty well last season i mean what they didn't have but they didn't have the head-to-head duel which i think has been one of the hallmarks of this pj tour season at least so far this calendar year like you've had scotty scheffler going up against rory and speed you've had john rom going up against max homa and yeah we've yet to see a dj brooks duel we've yet to see a cam smith phil mickelson duel we've yet to see a, a a bryson and a Sergio duel that has not yet come to fruition in what is now a year and a quarter 
of the live schedule. And so if you're I mean, looking for why, if you're looking for why the rival tour has not resonated at a significant, uh, has not resonated significantly, I think you have to start there. Like if those headliners, those guys were all making nine figures, if they were doing their part, if they were uh, performing their best, if they were clashing on a semi-regular basis, I think there'd be greater interest in live that there is. And that's no disrespect to the, the Brandon Graces and the Charles Howells and the Danny Lees of the world. Like they should be able to get theirs too, but that's not why they started live golf to, uh, to have a, to have a, a, a safety net for these guys. It's supposed to be a platform for the superstars. And, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but they played 108 holes. That's, that's Q school. They've essentially just played Q school and that's all they've done this year. So I, I think I would give it a beat. Like, just let's let it play out. And you're right. If we get to the end of the season and DJ and Cam Smith haven't been heard of and the rest of the stars are still MIA, I'm going to dismiss the Phil comment that you made because I don't think you thought it through. Like, he hadn't done anything before he won the PGA and hadn't done anything after the PGA. So I'm not quite sure what version of Phil you thought that Live Golf was going to get. But certainly there is something to be said for. I'll be very curious by the time we get to the end of the season if those top players have, have sort of risen to the top, as you say. But again, 108 holes, man. Like, give it a Again, I, I, I don't have, like, DJ won $35 million last year. He was by far the best player on live. Cam Smith won. And Cam played in, really well. In, limit, in, in limited starts on live. I'm not saying that those guys aren't doing that. Now, this is a very small sample size in 2023. I'm saying you haven't had the head-to-head duel among those two, which has been so fair. prevalent this year on the PJ tour. I want to see those guys go head to head. I don't care if they win solitary events. If no one's paying attention, if DJ's winning by three or four shots, like no one cares. I want to see those guys go head to head at the height of their power. That is what the Saudis were signing up for with the live league. And that is not, uh, I think they want their teams to go head to head. Like let, let's clarify here. I mean, they were leaning into the distinction that they have with the PGA tours, the team concept, whether you like it or not, or agree with, this is something that is entertaining or this is something that professional golf needs. That's the only advantage they really have over the PGA tour. So in their minds, they would much rather see DJ's team going head to head with Cam's team or whatever scenario you have. And as a college golf connoisseur and someone who's covered these, it is virtually impossible to uh, follow the drama of a head to head team. It needs to ultimately be boiled down to a DJ versus Cam, the two stars. On their respective and in theory, spots. that's what you would get, right? So if, if those two teams are playing each other, I assume the captains figure out a way for those two players to go head-to-head. And I do think, Rex, your larger point about we have absolutely no idea what we're going to get from Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith, Joaquin Neiman, Brooks Kepka when it comes to the Masters. That's, to me, the second biggest question of Masters weeks. Can those guys just flip a switch and become the world beaters that we've seen them at times? Now, they do have an event next week at Orange County National, a place that you and I are both familiar with uh, quite well, $17 on the old driver's club card uh, to play Crooked Cat. Uh, That is their final tune-up for the Masters. So, look, that's a more forgiving golf course than we've seen these two weeks with Mayakoba and then the gallery. That may be the reason why some of these uh, longer hitters have not fared particularly well over the first two live events. That's not going to be the case at Orange County National. They'll be able to let fly. And so I'll be very curious to see if Dustin Johnson in particular does not have a top 10 and two live starts this year uh, kind of gets right at that venue. And, and to pull back the curtain, uh, when you and I did our picks last week, I think we did them for golf today. I, I panicked at the last moment. I had Kim Smith on my list. And, and as soon as the cameras came up, I thought, nope, not going to do it. And, and panicked and went with someone else. I think I No, added. you didn't. No, 
you have it backwards. You didn't have Cam Smith. On no, no, list. he was written. No, he was written down. I just panicked at the last minute and didn't want to. I, I, I got scared and ran away from the mic. <laughs> classic, classic coward move. You love, you love to see it, uh, Rex. Before we let you go, I do. I know you got press conferences the rest of the day. Please enlighten Remove. us. This is your last trip to Austin uh, for the foreseeable future, at least in a in a working capacity. Where have you frequented with your barbecue and alcohol selections? Uh, well, just here one night. Last night was my only night here, and we went to County Line because that was on my way to, which is very good, by the way. It's sort of underrated. It's not Franklin's. Like, granted, you're not going to get a lot of headlines, but County Line is very good. It's, it's, it, it, I would call it barbecue comfort food. It's all the, yes, that's, that's what I would expect. And then tonight, I think we're going, there's a very famous pizza place that uh, Todd Lewis and Andrew Bradley seem to enjoy downtown. So I'm going to do that with them. And it's called Domino's? Uh, yeah, Pizza Hut. That's right. Good God. Who gets pizza in Austin? Uh, it's like a famous pizza place down there. We went there last year. It was this fun. Is like go, this is like going to Memphis and getting clam chowder. Come on. Do better. Uh, I have to tell you, I made, uh, I made wings on the pit barrel on Sunday. I think I sent you I a saw. little snappy chat. Snappy chat. Wonderful. And it was, they were the best wings I've ever had. They were so good. Uh, I do hope that in your final trip to Austin, at least in a working capacity, you will make a trip to Leroy and Lewis. Make sure you find out and learn more about the, what is now internet famous uh, foil boat method for cooking barbecues where you shield. So obviously, you know, the Texas crutch where you wrap it in foils helps tenderize and steam the meat while protecting it from the outside heat. Uh, they have taken that and made a twist on that called the foil boat where you basically leave the top, exposed while protecting the underside and the sides with foil that speeds up the cooking process, helps the meat braise in its own liquids while also leaving the top exposed to get a crunchy succulent bark that everyone is after. So please uh, do, do some, do some homework. I know you don't have much to do over the next five days. Uh, I'd love to see a little bit of a tour of Texas and look forward to your tweets and other information next week when we convene on the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Laugh. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Full recap of the match play. Look ahead to the Masters. And if you're lucky, a preview of the Valero Texas Open. Just for you, Rex. Rex.